Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your infinite wisdom, before the world was even created, you knew that we would be gathering in a place like this. Some who are here this morning are down, depressed, and anxious, fearful, and worried. And Father, you knew that they would be here this morning to hear this message. There are still others who are here, Lord, for whom everything is just functioning and flowing so well. And they also need to hear this message. So it's our prayer now that you would prepare the hearts of each one of us, the preacher's heart as well. That as we read these scriptures and as we reflect and apply them, that you would speak directly into each one of us now. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So this morning we're beginning a new sermon series, and I've titled it, Created to Flourish. And I figured that it would be a really good time for us to think about what it means that you were created to flourish, especially as we begin a new year. You know, the new year, we all know that everything that happened in 2018, like we still feel the effects of it, isn't that true? And like, I know sometimes we'll say, oh, I am so ready to say goodbye to 2018 and hello to 2019. And the reason we say that is because as human beings, we like fresh starts. We like new beginnings. And even though dates really are quite arbitrary, I mean, like, they matter because you have to go to work on certain days of the week and pay bills and all that kind of stuff. But all of our lives are just kind of one long list of days after days after days. And for me, one of the things that I've come to really understand and as I've been reflecting on what, how do I want to lead as a pastor in 2019, you know, because for pastors, we think like, well, we got to make sure that our budget is balanced and we have, you know, all, we have an awesome finance committee, an awesome treasurer who helps to make sure that our finances are doing well and that everything is balanced. And as a pastor, but we still like at the end of the day, like if we're in the red at the end of the year, everyone's still going to be like, hmm, pastor, <laughs> And we think about we want to make certain schedules so that everything is fully functioning and staffed at the church. So we want to make sure the greeters are being um, scheduled and deacons and deaconesses and all that. And we have leaders who do all of that. But at the end of the day, it's still in the head of the pastor to say, like, I want to make sure that everything gets resourced appropriately. And so as I kind of stop to think and ask myself, well, what, what kind of a pastor do I want to be in 2019? And, and what do I really want to focus on? It's so easy for us. To think that we just want to make sure that every checklist or every checkbox gets checked off for the whole year so that everything gets done and filled correctly and resourced. But while we were in Tennessee, I had a little extra time to just kind of pause and not worry about writing a sermon, not worry about returning any emails, and just kind of pausing and listening to the voice of God. And I didn't hear God speak. But I had this sense of clarity, which for me is the way God really kind of gives me direction in my life, is this sense of very clear clarity and directive. And what I sense God telling me is that if I am going to be a successful pastor in 2019, that I need to give my 100% attention to helping this church individually and corporately develop a deeper relationship with God. And some of you might be saying, like, isn't that your job already? But the reality is, and those of you who are in leadership at this church, you know that leading a church is about so many other things. 
And sometimes that developing that relationship, that flourishing relationship with Christ, sometimes isn't the most important thing because we have to worry about so many other things. But I really sense God telling me, no, this is what you have to give your life to. And, and that's one of the reasons why at the end of last year we played that video that invited every one of you to read the New Testament along with me. Are any of you reading? You don't have to raise your hand. I am. <laughs> and the reason that we're doing just the New Testament this year, a couple of reasons. If you ever try to read through the whole Bible, what ends up happening is you're just trying to get through so much so fast in a day. And sometimes because life, you get really busy, then you try to double up and triple up. And then after a while, it's just like, I'm so far behind, I'm, I quit. And so I said, you know, that's not going to help people develop their relationship with God. That's only going to make people feel worse. So if we only do the New Testament this year, and next year we'll do the Old Testament, then you only have to read one chapter a day, and you only have to read five days a week, which means you get the weekends off or however you want to structure your time. And one of the things that I've noticed within myself is I'm just reading one chapter a day is I can read it a second time. I can come back to it later in the day. I can like focus on what, is, what I'm actually reading. And what I've realized, even just in this week, like I've already noticed the difference in my own life because it's like the things are sticking with me longer than they would if I was trying to read three chapters a day. And so when God is giving this vision to me, he says, not he says, but I sensed, that for us to develop our relationship with God, for us to truly have a life that flourishes, there is some groundwork that we need to do so that every one of us has the toolbox and the tools that we need in order to be able to live the life that you actually were created to live. So easy for us to focus on all the negative things in our lives, and I know that there are difficult times that you are facing, and there are some of you who are really in the middle of something that feels like you just don't know how you're going to get through. And so it's really difficult to even care that you were created to live a life that flourishes because all you can do is focus on all of the negative things going on around you. But that's not a new story. Because when you look at the scriptures from beginning to end, God's people are constantly bombarded with difficult things. God's people are always in circumstances that are not as easy as, as they probably wish that they were. And so the fact that you are in the throes of something that might seem like the darkest valley you've ever had to go through is not new. And that's why God is speaking this word to you this morning. That even though the darkness may feel like it's prevailing in your life, you were still created to flourish. And I want to show you how that looks in the scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to Genesis chapter 1. The first glimpses... The first picture we see of human flourishing in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 1. In the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, God created them to flourish. You see, it's really easy for us today to think about, like, like we always tend to fast forward the story of God's creation and the story in the nar narrative arc of history. We have this tendency to rush to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve disobey and they fall. And it's like, that's like the first story that we always talk about. And it's like the defining story for our faith. And so we always think of ourselves only as sinners, as terrible people who are falling short of the glory of God. But the way God writes the story in scripture is that before sin enters the story of creation, God creates Adam and Eve with an original blessing. 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 begins with this. God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. I always thought that was like a funny line, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the face of the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then it says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, which, which dominion doesn't mean and dominate it. It means be a steward and steward over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the living things that moves upon the sea. Your first example of human flourishing in the Bible is found in this short interchange between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit because you notice that it says, let us make man in our image. And so from the very beginning, we have this sense that God is this eternal community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he was there and they were there at the beginning. However, our minds can really grasp that. And God creates Adam and Eve in the image of God. And so what we find in this little passage that I know we have memorized in Sabbath school, we've read many, many times, is that the key to human flourishing is found here. The key to human flourishing is found in a relationship with God. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are a relationship, a three-in-oneness. And what we find in this story is that for you to flourish, the first thing that matters, the thing that you have to get right, is your closeness, your relationship, and your connectedness to God. It's about the proximity that you have in entering into the presence of God. That's why reading the Bible and praying in the morning, if you can get up early enough to do that, is so important. Because you begin your day with the closeness with the one who can get you through all things. So the how-to of human flourishing, step one is relationship with God. And step two is vocation. Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us in the next two chapters that they had a face-to-face communication with God. Right When God comes, and he, he's, it says that he looks for them. He, he searches for them among the garden. And so obviously there was some sort of face-to-face with God. And so there was that relationship. And God tells them that they are to steward over the creation, to care for the animals, to care for the trees, to care for all of it, because that was what they were called to do. That was their vocation. And so the, the two parts of human flourishing, it's rooted in the fact that you were created to commune with God and you were created with a calling, a vocation to do something for God. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he would go on to echo the same thing. Verse 11 tells us this. God has, when it says he has made us, it means God has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, God has put a sense of the past and the future into your minds, yet you cannot, fa- you cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So this is one of those really odd sentences 
Well, if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, you'll know, like, there's a lot of odd sentences in that, in that passage, right, in the, in the whole book. But see, this is one of my favorite parts of this book because what it's telling us, some Bible translations will say that God put eternity into your heart. That sense of, and, and really it's, it's a biblical way of saying there is a sense within each one of us that knows that there is more to life than what we see in front of us. The sense of past and future is your existential angst to want to flourish, to want to find meaning, to want to find purpose, to want to give your life to something more than just chasing a paycheck, but wanting to do something that blesses the world, that is fulfilling to you, but that ultimately does good for the world. Because when we think of vocation, vocation is just another sense of what God has called you to do. It isn't just so that you and I can find fulfillment and say, well, I lived a good life. But vocation is about what God is placing on your heart to do that will bless others. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were messengers for God. The Bible tells us that they were God's chosen people, but they were God's chosen people to be his message to a world that didn't know him. And in the New Testament, Paul would use the words that we, those who believe, you who are sitting here, who believe in Jesus are the spiritual Israel who are called to be messengers for God. And before you can truly sense what God is telling you, he's inviting you into a relationship because he knows that the closeness and the proximity that you have with him will propel you into what God is calling you to do. And so Solomon says, there is that thing within us that is yearning to find true meaning, true satisfaction, true life, true flourishing. But he says, but like we can never fully figure it out. And I'll spoil the ending of the book for you. (laughs) The only way you figure out and get that sense, it brings you back full circle to the connection and the relationship that you have with God. But he goes on. He says, I know that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. I'm going to just say, there's nothing better for you than to be happy and enjoy yourself as long as you live. Moreover, it's God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their, what's that last word? Toil, work. (laughs) Thanks, God. (laughs) But you see, there was work at the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had a job. They had a calling. They had a vocation. And the scriptures tell us that if you have a close relationship with God, even if your work situation is, like, terrible, it's up to you to be able to make it a better place by by the thoughts and the feelings and the energy that you are bringing to that place. Because the closer you are to God, the more God is going to rub off on you. Let me show you how this works. Have you ever... um, I mean, I don't want to ask this about myself, but I'm like, fine. Maybe if you, get, if you spend enough time with Kara and I. What happens when a couple, like I was the way I was before I met Kara, like how I said things, the jokes I made, that kind of stuff, right? But then like I fell in love and married the woman of my dreams, and I've adopted some of the things that she says and does. Now, maybe if you haven't spent enough time with us, you haven't been able to see that, but that's what happens in relationships, you kind of take on some of the characteristics of the person that you're with. And it doesn't necessarily mean just in marriage, but with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, the people you spend time with. Isn't it true that we begin to kind of take on some of those characteristics? And, 
And like you don't do it on purpose, it just kind of happens naturally. So if you have this close connection and relationship with God, the essence and the character of God will begin to rub off on you. And the image of God will flourish more inside you than if you try to do things without him. So if you're stuck in a job that feels like a dead end or it's just frustrating or it's just a terrible place to be, maybe you're in school and you just feel overwhelmed or whatever it is, you can apply this to anything in your life. And you just feel like you just can't get any kind of victory or you just can't get any kind of internal peace. Then my suggestion for you is to take a step back and evaluate your closeness to God. Because I believe that when you're in the presence of the eternal one, intentionally, daily, throughout your life, situations may not change, but the internal reservoir of peace that you have will be overflowing. See, the image that the Bible writers give us of this internal peace is that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it is like a gushing spring coming deep from within the, the being of your soul. But that only happens when you are connected to the source. And so we all want to flourish, and we can use different words. We can use we all want to live an abundant life, we want to live a good life, or whatever it is. The word we're using is we all want to flourish because we know that we were created to flourish, to be in relationship with God, and to fulfill the vocation and the calling that God is putting into each one of our lives. But I think if, if we're honest, we may say that life doesn't feel like it's flourishing all the time. And you may focus on all the negative things that are going on around us, outside of us, in our country, in other countries, in our work situations, in our family situations, and we feel like life just doesn't feel like it's flourishing. You know, in the medical community, there is this phrase, and it's called failure to thrive. And failure to thrive, if I understand this correctly, is, is the inability for an infant to be able to um, either live or to have a thriving life. That makes sense? Like they, they are less than who they were born to be. And I heard about this, that in some orphanages, when kids are dropped off and they're in an orphanage from the time that they were born, in an orphanage, they're fed, their diapers are changed, they're clothed. So like everything that they need to live is provided for them, and yet they still fail to thrive because they are missing the one thing that every little tiny baby needs in order to thrive. And what is that? closeness, connection, and the love of their parent. You know, as human beings, we fail to thrive sometimes. And when we feel like life isn't going the way we want it to go, we try to force it. We try to will ourselves to flourish. We try to, you know, and, and again, in New Year's resolutions, right? Like, <laughs> New Year's resolutions are great. Anytime you want to improve your life, that's a great thing. But when the New Year's come, we do New Year's resolutions, we set up goals, we, we say, okay, this is what we're going to do this month and the next month. We have intentions, we make plans, and we try to flourish by the sheer will of our force and our will, and then it just doesn't happen. You know, we try to line up the loftiest ideals of what it means to be holy and spiritual and purposeful. And we try to follow these ideals because we believe that if we just do all of these other things, then we will reach the life that we think that we deserve. 
But what ends up happening is when the longer the list of things you have to do to live this flourishing life that you think you have to get done, the longer the list of things you do, uh, you give to yourself to be holier and without sin and to be a better Seventh-day Adventist or a better Christian, the longer that list becomes, guess what happens? It becomes harder and harder to do. And then we just give up and we say, well, I can't do it anyway. And so for a relationship to God, a relationship with God to flourish, sometimes we need to do less things, worry less about external things, and learn to focus and give our attention to fewer things, to a connection with God and to that thing for which he is calling you to do. So we still have a few more minutes. I'm going to look at one more passage. I'm going to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 3. But I want to look at a story of Jesus that's going to reiterate everything we've talked about and it'll give us an understanding of what it means to flourish in the eyes of God. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus, this is Jesus' baptism. Just. Then Jesus came to Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. You know, when we think about our identity, as we try to share with our kids this morning, is that God views each one of them as his son and his daughter, the beloved in whom God is well pleased. You see, when we look at the story of Jesus' life, his is the one who flourished the most. Jesus' life was a flourishing life every single moment of every day. And what we find is that he was constantly giving of himself. Jesus was fulfilling the vocation, his calling for which he came to earth to share God's love in a way that was undeniably true and real. And so Jesus comes to share with us the way of life, God's love for us, and ultimately he lays down his life for the forgiveness of our sins. That was his vocation. And what do we see in, the, in, the, in Jesus is that he constantly kept coming back to this connection and this closeness and this relationship with his father. He kept looking to God for the energy and the strength and the perseverance he needed in order to accomplish the calling. It was his connection and it was rooted in the identity that was spoken to him. Now, what's important about this passage is that this was the baptism. So Jesus didn't need to repent from his sins because he was sinless. But his baptism acted, and it does for us today as well, as an initiation into his calling and vocation into his life. Now, keep in mind, we usually use words like calling and vocation for pastors but what we find in Scripture is that God is calling you and each of you into a different thing in life. Not all of you are called to be pastors. Right? We don't have enough churches. But God is calling you to be a priest, 
a priestess, right? Like you are a son and daughter of God, and you are called to be his image everywhere that you go. And so when we come to this story, we see that the God looks down at Jesus as Jesus is being initiated into his calling. From the beginning of the earth, Genesis 1, we see that Jesus was there in that three-in-one co-eternal relationship that said, let us make man in our image. God, Jesus had been connected to God, and however that works, like it's beyond our understanding other than we just, we accept the mystery of what the Trinity means for us, and we love it. But Jesus had that connection to God from all eternity. So when he comes to earth, he comes to earth as a human, but he is taking the reservoir of relationship and closeness he had with God, and he trusts that God would get him through what he needed to do. And so Jesus, we see this picture of Jesus coming out of the baptismal waters, and what we find in the scripture is that God says, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. That was his identity. What is the very next story in Matthew after Jesus is baptized? What happens? He goes into the desert and he's tempted by the devil. And then every subsequent chapter after that, Jesus, in a sense, is trying to make sure that he doesn't get arrested or doesn't get killed or doesn't get trapped. He is constantly having to be aware. But what we find that for Jesus, his circumstances were, I think, in a lot of ways, worse than many of our circumstances today. But he knew that he had that connection with God, and he did it. The Bible tells us that he would go off while it was still early in the morning so that he could have this own connection time and prayer time with God. Because that's what was going to sustain him when he went through the rest of things. And so one of the most powerful things that we have in the scripture is that Jesus' identity was rooted in the fact that he is the beloved son of God in whom God is well pleased. Now tell me this. Do you think that Jesus had to keep relying on his identity as he went through life? When people were saying, oh, what good can come out of Galilee? He's a pauper. He's a poor guy. Like he's not the son of God. People kept trying to arrest him, trying to kill him, trying to stone him, trying to trap him. People were calling him names, a liar, a glutton, a drunkard. He hangs out with sinners, so he himself must be a sinner. You know, we do a terrible, like when people say things about, like, uh, about us, sometimes if people say it long enough, what happens to us? We start believing it. And then we begin to think of ourselves in the negative light that people see us. But for Jesus... The life that truly flourishes, he came back to this text, you know, and he remembered, regardless of whatever was going on and whatever people were saying, Jesus remembered that his identity was rooted as the beloved son in whom God was well pleased. This is what gave Jesus the driving force, the passion, the courage when things got difficult because he knew that his identity was wrapped as the loved son of God. When you are baptized, the same message comes from heaven. The Bible is clear. It says that when you are baptized, you now become a part of the family of God. The Bible calls you sons and daughters of God which means that because you are a family of God, this passage is true for you, that you are the son, you are the daughter of God, beloved, in whom God is well pleased. And that's what you have to hold on to whenever it feels like life is not only not flourishing, but it's almost not even worth trying. So we just try to go to other things to just kind of dampen our feelings until we just kind of ride the clock out on our lives. 
But Jesus says, no, you are beloved. God is well pleased in you. God is inviting you in, into this relationship with God, to this closeness, to this proximity, because God knows that the more time that you spend in his presence, his glow will surround you, will fill you, because you're already made in the image of God. God is not having to start from scratch. God has already put his DNA into you, and you are made in his image, and God is constantly pursuing you, constantly protecting you, constantly going before you, giving you his righteousness, and he, all he is saying is, remember the original blessing. Don't focus just on the sin. Focus on the blessing for whom you were created to be. You were created to flourish, to be in connection with God so that you could fulfill your vocation, your path. The path that God has is different for each one of us. You are his image, his billboard, his image bearer in this world, and God needs us because he wants us to work alongside him as we expand the kingdom of heaven. And there is this sense that this life is almost a preparation for the life that is to come. And we don't just get to experience God in the future, but God is like, I, I am here in your midst constantly, but what's missing is our awareness to his presence. So as we think about what it means to live a life that flourishes, when we think of what it means that we were created to flourish, remember that it begins with the connection and the closeness to God. And it goes into the vocation, the calling, and the purpose that God has put on your life.